0: Hi, I'm financial journalist Caroline Stephen. Welcome to Talking Trading. In today's episode, we take a look at the world markets for 2015 with Chris Tate and we relive some of its highlights. We look at the spectacular fall of China's share market, why the USA stayed in its congestion zone, the fall of crude oil to below $40 a barrel, and the overall performance of the Australian market. We also take a look at what to do with your positions over Christmas. Hello, Chris Tate. Welcome to Talking Trading.
1: Hi, Caroline.
0: Crude oil is at its lowest level in six years. It is below $40 a barrel. Iron ore is at a historic low at $40 a tonne. Chris, what's happening in the commodity markets?
1: I think it's a matter of looking back at what's happened this year and simply accepting that for the majority of commodities, particularly those that are important to us here in Australia, from an economic backdrop, that it's been a train wreck and there doesn't seem to be any relief from this carnage. Uh, The the thing that has intrigued me about, uh, particularly and I was having this discussion with some people the other day, heating oil, everyone's going, can't possibly go lower, can't possibly go lower. Well, it went lower. Did. It went lower. <laughs> and, and we seem to be in that part of... I, I don't like using the term commodity supercycle because that implies some degree of regularity like a metronome to these cycles. But we do seem to be caught in this phase where uh, there is this systemic collapse across the board. And unfortunately, because Australia only has sort of a two-speed market, that is, it either depends upon the banks or the miners, and the banks are stuffed, and the miners are, to use a technical term, totally stuffed. Our market is struggling. Okay, and that's been the pattern of the year.
0: All right, let's just dig a little bit deeper into the energy sector and why it is such a train wreck.
1: I'm not a macro analyst, but if you if you look at, we seem to have a, a confluence of factors. We've had what literally can be described as the pissing contest between OPEC and the US. The US are now self-sufficient in oil and they're very big on fracking. Now, leave aside the environmental questions. It has been part of their strategic drive for some time now to be self-sufficient or to return to self-sufficiency in energy, which they've done. And part of it, I think, has been I won't say a concerted plan, but the side effect is that it has driven crude down to the price where, for the majority of nations, it's now uneconomic to actually get it out the ground. I think the cost of production in the UK is something like 59 or $60 US a barrel, so we're well below that, and I think for some of the South American countries... Uh, because of inefficiencies, you're up over the $100 a barrel. It's only certain Middle East nations that are still able to keep their head above water at this level and they're peddling really, really hard. There's a downturn in demand. Nobody wants it.
0: Why don't people want it?
1: I think it's one of those... I don't like the term green revolution, but we do have things where the world is becoming more efficient. It's becoming sharper. We don't literally piss through petrol like we used to
0: okay let's look at the other commodity iron
1: ore what can one say about the only thing we dig out of the ground the issue there we flip back to china china is the great repository of all pieces of dirt australian and they simply don't want them and when they don't want our dirt we have inordinate problems and we did have this illusion that we were going through a mining boom. A mining boom, to me, is made up of rampant, runaway commodity prices. We had that for about eight months—an acceleration in commodity prices. Then it stopped. What we've had is a mining infrastructure boom. That is, the facility and capacity to dig dirt out of the ground has expanded dramatically. And the the issue we face is that whilst we've expanded capacity dramatically. World demand's contracted.
0: So, look, let's get back to banks and the energy sector for the Australian market, which you summed up was basically stuffed for the year, and let's swing over to the US just for a while. What's happened in the US markets?
1: Let's look back 365 odd days. The US market entered congestion at the beginning of the year, stayed there for most of the year, dropped out briefly for about six, maybe seven weeks, and is now back in congestion again. And their market has i'll use the term being moribund it's not been very energetic in many ways that might be an expectation because their market has sprinted literally since the end of the gfc so you look around and you wonder where the energy is going to come from sooner or later it has to fatigue i was reading about a hedge fund the other day which has decided to close its doors because it it said look We're closing because we simply cannot see opportunities on the long side, and it was a long-sided hedge fund, in the US at present. They're simply not there for our system. So we're just going to shut the fund.
0: What do you think's propped up the American market? Have you been surprised that it hasn't fallen off the waterfall cliff?
1: Oh, look, it's, I think in part, low interest rates help, but they've had a succession of stimulus packages along the way. I sometimes wonder as a thought experiment whether it would have been different if Wall Street firms and banks had been allowed to collapse after the GFC and the system was just cleaned out. Part of the problem was the enormous amount of money that went into their markets. And to prop up that sector, I I had an intriguing conversation with someone several years ago who, I won't say knows the wheeling and dealings of people like Warren Buffett intimately, But they said to me a very interesting thing. They said that without the tarp bailout money that Buffett received, he would have gone under, simply because of exposure. And I thought that was an intriguingly interesting thing. And most of Wall Street, most of their firms, most of their banks would have disappeared if it had not been for bailout. The intriguing thing, though, is as part of the thought experiment, you wonder whether that would have made it better or made it worse, Certainly jailing most of Wall Street would have made people feel better, which is what which is what the Nordic countries did with their bankers for their malfeasance. It simply let them go broke and jailed them. And they seem to have done very well out of it. Let's
0: swing over to Europe. How has Europe looked this year?
1: Europe's the... It's one of those things where... To me, it seems like the world is divided into old and new, and Europe is old. It's just the way it is. If you look at past investment returns over the past, say, four, maybe five years, in terms of true investment returns, in terms of actually investing in a business, not market returns, the big gains have come from China, and they've actually come from Africa. They've not come out of Europe or the U.S.,
0: so tell us about Africa. How
1: has that boomed? One of the intriguing things about Africa is it seems, it seems to be undergoing somewhat of a renaissance. And it, it's come apart, I think, come about in part as a function of stability and also repatriation. Africa suffered a brain drain. Those brains are now coming home. And they're coming home to countries like Nigeria and Kenya. And they're making an impact. And they're being encouraged to come home, much like is occurring in India. Indian trained, foreign trained Indian intellectuals uh, have made a tremendous impact in the industries they've been in. I read somewhere that at any given stage, 30% of NASA's engineers are Indian. They're now encouraged to come home and bring that brain power with them. And a lot of them are, and they're making a difference. And that's happening in Africa as well. So you've got stability combined with people returning home. Combined with natural resources, admittedly, they're in sort of the same boat we are, but you see a difference. You you see a real entrepreneurial flair and spirit in Africa, and it's a flair and spirit, strange enough, that you don't see here in Australia.
0: All right, so, let's go to 2015 being the spectacular rise and fall of China.
1: China has always been a fascinating case. Even when you look at their collapse of their market, their market's still positive for this year which is quite remarkable. We're not, nor is the US, nor is most of Europe. I think part of their issue is structural and the fact that you simply cannot trust a word they say <laughs> when they're releasing their economic data. One of one of the enduring images of China I have are complete cities built for people where nobody lives in them. It's like there's been an apocalypse and there's nobody there. And one of the problems we face is that markets are forward-pricing instruments that's where they're pricing commodities the way they are. And they're pricing that based upon their forward understanding or expectations on China. And you can, see, you can actually see that in things like the Shanghai Composite. Again, uh, another thought experiment that I have is wondering whether... When I was heavily involved in broking in the 80s, they, they spoke about the Japanese century because it seemed like Japan was going to rule the world economically. When our markets collapsed, theirs took off. And then it ended, and it ended as quickly as it began. Some part of me doesn't wonder sometimes whether that is the fate of China, because one of the things you have to remember is that China is still basically a peasant nation.
0: Okay, let's swing back to Australia, where the banks and the energy sector were technically stuffed, in your words. How did the Australian market look for 2015?
1: It went nowhere. We had a little bounce in the middle of the year, and then it was... A progressive grind down but the intriguing thing was uh, it, w- it was sort of in some ways the perfect storm in that it was a grind down but a grind down with above-average volatility which is not what you want so uh, is that a
0: particularly hard market for traders to make money in
1: it was very very difficult because one, one of the great difficulties you have is that let's say you're an in- index trader so short selling indices is by and large a profoundly unprofitable endeavour. And there's a simple reason for this. Indices have an upward bias. They're very, very hard to drive down for extended periods of time. Even post the GFC, the market fell hard and sharp but then bounced. And so even if you could short sell that portion during the GFC, which you couldn't because short selling became illegal, you couldn't get anything out of it. And it's the same with the market over the past year. It has ground down and it's ground down under high volatility. If, in contrast, you look at the Nikkei, the Nikkei, depending on how we go between now and the end of the year, the next 16 days or so, has been the best performing market in the world, up oh, maybe 12, 13%. It generated the majority of that gain, that trend up, with decreasing volatility. So they had the reverse situation. Then a market that was trending up, but trending up with very low volatility. So you were getting a consistency of trend. And that's the thing we look for. And that's the thing
0: that Australia's lacked, totally. That's the thing
1: we were the mirror image of that. We were grinding down, but with very, very high historical levels of volatility. And that just makes it very, very hard.
0: So traders shouldn't be discouraged by this year's results. It was an unusual
1: climate. One of the issues, and we've had this conversation before, and we had it on Thursday night, is that... When you were wearing a tuxedo. I was, and I'm an exceptionally handsome man as well, (laughs) was, was that a single year does not make a trader. And you need to think of it in terms of being in business. There are some years when it's really, really, really good to make widgets, and there are some years when it's not so good to make widgets. People don't want widgets or they don't want red ones. And that's simply the nature of trading. Part of the the big gains that you get in trading actually come from equities markets. And they come from shares within equities markets simply because it is only a share that has the capacity to go from 20 cents to $5. Currencies won't do that. Commodities won't do that. You'll get some very, very good trends in those markets, but you'll never get the Australian dollar going from $0.73 $0.73 cents to $7.50, simply because banks will intervene and won't allow it, and the market will intervene. And we've had this difficulty with our market this year that we, simply for equities traders, seen those spectacular gain. It's possible to do extremely well with commodities, currencies and the like, but you actually also need them to trend as well. And the great trend for currencies was the year before, and a bit before that. We haven't seen those very large trends this year. We've seen a continuation of difficulty with the Australian dollar, but that's been a bumpy ride down. Those moves have been short and sharp, so there's only been little bits to capture. And so it has been a difficult year for traders. There are difficult years.
0: Okay, so it has been an unusually difficult year. What has been the best performing instrument?
1: Depends whether you're long or short. If you've been short, it's undoubtedly been uh, the energy complex because they'll probably finish the year down maybe anywhere between 35 and 40%. The other commodities, year to date, have really been quite modest, and that's been the issue. You've had a small part of the complex that's done well. Uh, Some of the metals, I mean, gold and silver have continued to trend down, but that's a very long-term trend, and the bulk of the dropout was in the early part of the trend. Now we've ground down, and we're getting this little I won't say along the bottom because that's implying I know what's going to happen. But we're getting this ranging at present with the occasional drop down that you think, here we go again. But it doesn't. You get a little bit of a recovery. You get stopped out and you go, bugger. It's it's one of those years that traders will go, "Uh, that was fun. Let's not do that again in a hurry.
0: And we'll find out from Chris Tate what he recommends traders do with their positions over Christmas right up after the break. There are some people you can meet but you just feel inspired by it. you don't know why maybe it's the words they say, maybe it's just the energy that they bring. But these people who are inspirational, influence those around them. And particularly when you're trading, when your energy is your currency, you need to be able to foster that really well and to be able to have a positive influence when things aren't going right. So you lift, if you like, the consciousness of those around you, not to drag you down, but so you can rise and flow with pressure. And if traders can recognize where they sit on that particular scale when pressure hits, they can work out how to be perhaps performing better when they're dealing with setbacks and problems and challenges. And that was resilience coach Michael Lickenblack. Michael's a guest on our Talking Trading Gold service. Talking Trading Gold is a mini mentoring ongoing program. It's like getting a trading audiobook delivered to your inbox every month. To read more about it, click on the Get More tab at our talkingtrading.com.au website or Go to au. That's au. And now back to our interview with Chris Tate to find out what to do with your positions over Christmas.
1: Traditionally December's not bad for volume in part because we're carried along a little bit by the fact that Christmas occurs late markets trade up until Christmas and Overseas markets trade in periods when we don't trade. So our market volume's not too bad in December. It does drop off. In January, it does drop, and you get a disinterest in markets because Australia is one of those countries where it's acceptable to, I don't know, take six weeks off and do nothing. My rule is that come round about now, if equities were moving, I would stop taking equity positions. Uh, currency and commodity positions, because those markets are more... Robust in terms of their timetable, they shut for only what are regarded as public holidays and then open again. So, effectively, come 1st of January, they open again and start as if nothing had changed. Those, depending on whether I want time off, I'll continue to trade up through till you know Christmas when everything stops and then start again in the new year.
0: What positions are you looking at lately?
1: To be honest, not a lot. I mean, I've got short positions in China because it's been coming apart. The, the Australian dollar against a, a variety of currencies remains unsettled, so I still have small short. I'd, I'd almost call them sniper positions in those. <laughs> and if they if they move, I'll load up. If they don't, I'll just let them run their course.
0: What general advice would you give traders for this period over Christmas?
1: Go and get a tan.
0: Anything else?
1: No, that's basically it. It's simply because it's a somewhat egotistical misunderstanding that people have. People think that the market is not there when they're not there. The market will still be there when you come back. So if you decide to bugger off for two weeks and sit beside a beach or a pool somewhere, the market will still be there and you won't have missed anything. There is this belief that if you're not looking at the market, you'll miss something And that's not true, because there'll always be another trend. It's just the way the world functions.
0: And you'll come back fresh to the markets.
1: And you will come back revived and energised and ready to go at it again for the next year.
0: Chris Tate, thanks for your time.
1: Thanks, Caroline.
0: And that's all we have for you today, guys. Stay tuned next week for a recap of our guests of 2015 and relive some of the best moments on Talking Trading for this year. I'm Caroline Stephen and on behalf of the team, thanks for your company. See you for our final show just before Santa Claus next week. You've been listening to TalkingTrading.com.au with Caroline Stephen. Make sure you are subscribed to this website to receive the very latest market views, commentary and expert opinion. Tune in next week as we've got a bumper show planned.
1: Bye for now.
0: The views represented on Talking Trading are general in nature and do not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Before acting on any of the information, consider its appropriateness in regard to your own situation.